This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Where we talk about all kinds of interesting daily topics that affect our lives and what Judaism says about them. Today we're discussing what does Judaism say about grief? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me as always is the commendable Rabbi Mayor Beer. Rabbi Beer, good afternoon. How you doing? Fantastic. So, so this, is a, this is a great topic. Grief. <laughs> we'll have to stop laughing soon. <laughs> now, when we say grief, what exactly are we talking about here? Tragedy occurs. Right. It could be a personal tragedy. It could be a world tragedy. A person feels bad. Unfortunately, there have been a number of mass shootings that have occurred in the last few months. And if you're a caring person, you, you should feel pain. And I think to cut oneself off from feeling a sense of hurt or loss when tragedy occurs is somehow lacking in a person's humanity. Meaning we can't become desensitized to these things. Well, what do you, you know, no, it's every one of these, unfortunately, and every, every personal tragedy we hear about also, you know, is, is real um, and, and you, it should be felt. So the question remains, what am I supposed to feel? How much? Is there a limit where things become overwhelming to the point where I'm not functional? Is, is there, am I supposed to do that? Should, one, should one dress in black and, you know, remain in that, like, classic Victorian, uh, you know, stereotype of, of, you know, wearing the black dress and just being in mourning for, for forever? The rest of your life. Right, which, which cultures have, have had. You know, we had a, you had a widow who had to, like, remain in mourning for the rest of her life. You know, it doesn't seem right that a person should like be stuck in in that you know in in that feelings of grief. Right. Now, you do want to feel the grief. How much? How long? And and then we're basically saying you know this is the this is the prescription that the sages are going to to deal with what 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 grief should should look like. Anybody that's going through anything personally, we're not talking about that. And certainly we're not we're not recommending feel this way, don't feel this way, or your emotions aren't real. We're not talking about any person's personal emotions here. And uh, always seek professional help if that's necessary. We're talking about what, what is the outlook here that, that, that the sages through the lens of the Torah are prescribing for what, what, what good grief would look like. Sure. So, you know, the, the event in life which arguably causes the most grief is the death of a relative. Right. And really following the, the guidelines that the halacha, that Jewish law has in place for dealing with that gives us a, a strong ind- 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 indicators in how one should deal with all sorts of different events that cause grief. And not getting into all the details of, uh, of the observances of, of a practical, the practical rules of Avelis, of mourning, which one could consult their rabbi for, um, just the basic idea. So there's, there's a seven-day period which has very strong laws of mourning. In fact, the first three days of that seven-day period have the strongest of that. After that, there, you know, one quote unquote gets up from the Shiva. Shiva literally means the seven days of mourning. And then there are another until the end of thirty days, there's a there are diminished and smaller restrictions. And then for a parent, which is the closest relative, it follows for, for until 12, uh, 12 months for a full year. So the idea many suggest, and I'm quoting one of the classic books in Halacha on this subject, the Gashrachaim from Michal Michal Tukashinsky, who was a great rabbi in Jerusalem in the 30s, 40s, 50s, he writes that one of the reasons, not the, not the entire reason of mourning, is because a person needs to get those emotions out. You have to recognize that the emotions are in there, and bottling them up is, is not an effective way. So you, you need to feel that pain, you need to let it out. 
But once again, that period of time comes to an end. And eventually, you, you need to move on from that. Nachmanides writes in his commentary on the Chumash that although there are acts which take mourning too far, crying over the loss of a relative is part of the human condition. If a person feels you know, this overwhelming sadness, that is, that's because you're human. That's what you're supposed to feel. Exactly. You're supposed to feel that. And having these laws, this, this period of mourning, when one, one is encouraged in an environment surrounded by quote-unquote, the dictates of the halacha, of the Jewish law, that should you know, put him in that zone where, where he can comfortably feel the, that pain, comfortably feel that emotion, is the way to move on. That is the therapy. You, 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 have, to, you have to acknowledge it and in a certain sense embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. But then it sometimes goes too far. And the Talmud writes, quoting from Tractate Moed Katan, page 27b, that if a person, this is a quote from Rav Yehuda, one of the off-coded sages of the Talmud, that one who grieves over his dead to excess, this person is liable that he should, he or she should, you know, unfortunately bear the tragedy of another dead. Essentially, that that like the, being too carried away with the grief is is taking things too far. A person has to recognize, certainly, if a person has a spiritual compass, that things happen for a reason, and and just as a basic. You know, reality check, unfortunately, people, you know, pe- people pass on. Certainly, sometimes it's more tragic than others, but you need to feel the emotions, you need to bring the emotions out, but then prepare yourself to slowly move on from those emotions. I, I like that point, reality check, because I think that most of us, until a certain point in time, do feel invincible and do feel like, well, those things don't happen to me, those happen to other people, or those are far away things, or we talked, we opened up this this discussion talking about sort of mass tragedies as opposed to personal personal uh, unique tragedies, but really that's when they do hit home, is when you have that personal unique tra- tragedy, you shared the concept of avelut, of, of being in mourning. Now, interestingly, that word avelut is the word aval. The word aval in Hebrew means but, like, you know, except for. That's what aval means. And, and Rashi, our great commentator, says that that word aval really is a, it means truth. It's a deeper sense of truth. For example, someone says to me, hey, Rick, can you pick me up at the airport tomorrow at 4 o'clock? And I go, hey, buddy, I really love you, but I'm babysitting my daughter. What I'm saying is, I love you, I would like to do it, but there's a deeper truth here, something else that's prioritized, that's a deeper truth deeper reality, which is I'm watching my daughter, that negates from being able to take care of picking up at the airport, even though I, even though I might like to. And this concept of a velut reveals a val. There's this death here, but there's this death. And it leaves us with a sense of, whoa, there's something really real. Nothing else matters in that moment except for the reality of that moment. And it really helps to propel you to think about your own life, which is really what this is all about, your own personal growth, how you get up from it, how you grow. Which I think is what you're what you're hinting to in the, in the Talmud there from Rabbi Yehuda, which is if you take these things too far, you've now self-negated yourself. That the entire purpose of of, of being around uh, human the human condition is to grow, and of course that's going to mean from things like tragedy are there really in and only for us to be able to feel that pain and then ultimately build on that pain. Yeah, the uh, the Nemuka Yosef, which is one of the medieval commentaries, this is actually Sephardic. On the, ta- on the Talmud writes that if a person carries the mourning too far, the initial three-day period of that week of mourning is like reserved for the, like the really hard emotions, like they're, like they're crying and they're just the uncontrollable feelings of loss. If a person carries that too far, they're almost like hinting at the fact that they're, 
there was no reason why people die, which which isn't true. And when it goes beyond expressing emotion and it turns into a person who feels that the world is lost and there is no future, at that point it's taking it too far. It's not healthy psychologically, it's not healthy spiritually. Yeah, and and then then we're not then then, we, then the human condition is sort of over. Yeah. You know, and 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 we do wonder in the back of our minds how, you know, after the Holocaust, and my wife's grandfather is an Auschwitz survivor and lost his family and the whole thing, what, what they built in this country, Jew, Jewish, Jewish Judaism in this country was built by these people in the 50s after the war. That's who built what we have today. How they did that, what they, how they were able to move on, but also not ever forget what their experience was, how could you? It's, it's impressive. And if you have an opportunity to sit with one of them and talk about that, it, it's a very powerful thing. And it's very raw for them still, by the way. My, sure. my wife's grandfather still cries when I'm talking about it. But it didn't stop him from building up his life. You know, and and Rev. Sanserfeller Hirsch shares, shares an idea here that I, I think sums this very, very interesting. There's a prohibition in the Torah against, against sort of um, um, taking things too far in, in, in mourning, which is the prohibition of cutting yourself or making permanent wounds on yourself. So we're, or, we're or taking the things. emotional pain and turning that into a physical, physical mark. pain. Yeah, like the, you're literally cutting yourself out of pain. So he says like this, these prohibitions are intended to preserve the individual's self-worth which stem from the person belonging directly to God. There's a relationship there. Like you said, if, if we don't, if we mourn too far, it's, it's, it's as if, you know, people don't die for a reason. We know there's a reason, right? So this, he says, this sense of self-worth must be maintained in relation to any person, no matter how much that person who died was loved and revered. No human being should have such a stronghold on us that we identify with this person who left us to the point of self-nullification. So when that person departs from the world, we feel compelled to throw ourselves away after him like a vessel that has no value. Such an unjustifiable loss of self-worth would be implied by the infliction of a permanent wound or a bald spot, he points right, so out. You're, this, is, this is really getting to the, the nakuda, to the exact... You know, to the point. To the point of, of this idea. And, and you see this in, in Egyptian culture. You know, the guy, the landowner would die and they would kill all the slaves and all of his family or whatever and put them in the grave with him. You have to shepherd him to the afterlife. Right, or, you know what or, I'm or saying? serve him to the afterlife. What, what, what? Yeah. yeah. So that's essentially saying that these slaves have no value other than the master. Right. And there were these, you know, these examples and, you know, historically where, where, where women whose husbands died were like expected to never lead, never move on from it, never right. remarry. Like, right. Not a Jewish idea. Does this woman not have her own self-worth? Is her worth only in as much as the deceased husband was around? And taking mourning too far can suggest that, which is why it's not spiritually or psychologically healthy. Yeah. Yes, you need to feel the pain. You need to express the pain. But recognize that there's still a you that has value, even if you feel the world's a little smaller because of that loss. And that's okay. And you can feel that, sure. But to feel that there's nothing left is wrong. You know, you need to look at yourself and say, look, I, I'm still valuable. Another interesting practice that, that we have as Jews, if anybody visits a, a traditional Jewish cemetery, sometimes you'll see little rocks on the headstones. So, for example, when I go visit my father's grave in Cincinnati with my mother, so, you know, we'll, we'll bring rocks, put the rocks on there. Now, now, you know, what does that mean? What's the idea there? So a, a rock, the word for rock is Evan. Evan is also a vein, I will build. Right, and, and we build with rocks. So we're basically saying and expressing, I know you're gone. You had such a profound impact on me. I'm not going to let that be in vain. 
which is also a concern I would imagine, I'm going to build from that grief and become a better person, become a stronger person, and build up the world now that you're not here. I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to change. I'm going to grow. I'm going to wake up a little bit. I'm going to build. Yeah, so there's kind of this this conflict which a person needs to you know, chart a course for between the feelings of loss and there, cause there actually is a loss and moving on from the loss and realizing that there's still... You know, there's still what to build. There's still a world that you can still accomplish in. So having people to talk to is the most powerful way to do this. And in mourning, one of the one of the great mitzvos, one of the great positive commandments that a person can fulfill is by visiting people who are mourning, by allowing them to talk, by listening, letting them, you know, connect with other people is a way in which they can really bring the feelings out, concretize what they lost and find the strength to move on from that. Coolest part of that experience, by the way, when you, if you ever go, it's funny to say cool, but it is cool. Just the emotional tune that the sages have is when you walk into a Shiva house and the person's in mourning, you're not allowed to say hello. You're not allowed. You as the visitor aren't allowed to say anything until they speak to you. There's no, there's no idle talk, chit chat. How's the weather, Bob? No, you sit there quietly and the mourner has the opportunity to collect their thoughts and then if they want to, share something, or if not, just have you be there in the presence of their company sure. allows them to deal with it in the way that they are. Because what if they're an introvert and they don't want to talk? That's cool, too. You're not the savior who's going to walk in and crack a joke. You're not allowed to talk. They are the one who's supposed to start the conversation. Yeah, and, yeah. and by the way, no one remembers this. And no one gets this right. And, and anyone who hears this should get this. But you walk in, just be quiet, okay? Exactly. Once the conversation starts, you're welcome yeah. to, you know. The, but to take this idea and really to any level of tragedy, the Talmud writes in Tractate Yuma, page 75a, Daga Balevish, if there is worry in the heart of a man, which Rashi explains means because of a loss. We're not talking about anxiety. This is a feeling that one has for a loss that has occurred, emotional loss, financial loss, whatever it is. What does one do? The Talmud writes, Sicha, have a conversation. Sicha, language of conversation, is more casual talk. It doesn't have to be necessarily on the couch with a professional, although certainly that, that can be necessary for many people. But simply talking on a casual level with one's friends, with one's companions, and talking it over and letting it out and having a conversation about it is very therapeutic for any level of tragedy. And as, as we mentioned, this is really the basic composition of what one does in, at Shiva. One talks with one's friends and one's associates and neighbors and whoever else whoever else may be that is is connected to this person who had that loss and you do that and and this is really the strongest and most effective tool to move on from tragedy interestingly you know with Rifka's my Rifka, my wife's grandfather who was the Auschwitz survivor he said until Schindler's list came out in 95 he and his survivor group of people really felt like they couldn't talk to anybody that they felt like it was such an insurmountable and horrible thing. There was, no, there was no one talked to, there was no one home, no one cared, and they couldn't express themselves. The movie came out. It was so widely popular. They all got interviewed by Spielberg. And all of a sudden, you have all these survivors speaking out their stories, some of them, most of them, actually, for the first time. And my, grand, my wife's grandfather expressed the, the, the healing that that caused, but just being able to concretize it, even though it can never be concretized, it was, was so amazing for him. So as we live our lives and things inevitably are going to happen, it's important to remember that, yeah, there will be tragedy, individual, communal, and we do our best to avoid that. But if when it happens, there's, there's a system in place that sages have that helps us to keep in balance and build. <laughs>